one of our recent podcasts had an old song by Prince in it called Controversy. Ever since we released that, oh my goodness, I can't get that song out of my head. It's a great song. No financial disclosures there. No, I do not own the rights to Controversy by Prince. It's just a good song. But it just really goes to show how many things really still are controversial in medicine, specifically in OBGYN. Well, we're back at it again because we're going to cover another controversial topic. Oh, it's not all that controversial. It just depends on how you look at the glass of data. Because some see that glass as half full, and of course, some see it as what, guys? Half empty. This is exactly the issue with vitamin D in pregnancy. Ooh, there's a lot to get into here. <laughs> because should we, should we be screening for vitamin D deficiency in pregnancy? Now, there's two ways to answer that. Universally, and ACOG says no. And then there's the other group that says yes for those at risk. And we're going to cover the ACOG data on that, which is just about to come out being reaffirmed again. But this is a big deal. Why? Because hypertensive disorders in pregnancy and preeclampsia are a persistent problem worldwide. Over the last decade, studies have highlighted the role of vitamin D in modulating several mechanisms associated with hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. These include, but aren't limited to, vessel compliance, the maternal immune response, the renin-angiotensin response, placental implantation, and even its impact on angiogenesis. There has also been published concern that maternal vitamin D deficiency can be associated with real childhood neurodevelopmental issues, including autism. However, the last ACOG committee opinion on universal screening for vitamin D deficiency was in back in 2011. That's a long time ago. This stated that universal screening was just not recommended. FYI, as we just mentioned, this is being reaffirmed by the OB committee. But this is very different than targeted screening. Since that ACOG stance in 2011, despite RCTs of vitamin D supplementation in pregnancy, everything has changed and yet nothing has changed regarding the appropriate approach to screening and supplementation for vitamin D deficiency in pregnancy. So, a couple of things to consider. Should vitamin D levels be assessed in pregnancy? And what are the cutoffs for vitamin D insufficiency or deficiency in pregnant patients? And what's the ideal pregnant patient to look for this? If we're not doing universal, who should have this as targeted screening? And what is that link between maternal vitamin D deficiency and the child's neurodevelopmental outcomes? These are big, big questions, but there is data to answer this. The most recent publication that has focused on this and has given recommendations came from an expert working group published in the American Journal of OBGYN just last month in September 2023, even though it was out ahead of print in April 2023. And we're going to talk about this in this episode. So we've got lots to cover. So let's get to all of these questions and more right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Vitamin D. Do y'all remember Sunny D, that little fake orange juice drink? I think they always used to give that to me when I was a kid. I think it's like 200% sugar and like 1% vitamin D. I have no idea, but man, it was good. And I thought it was so healthy, like I'm taking orange juice. There's no orange juice in that thing. <laughs> it's like it's like orange juice concentrate. I don't know what that was, but I just thought of Sunny D for vitamin D. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin obtained largely from consuming fortified milk or juice. There you go. It also is found in fish oils and dietary supplements. And we carry our own vitamin D factory. Remember, it's produced endogenously in the skin with exposure to sunlight. Now, that's one of the issues here. I mean, how often are we out in the sun? I mean, we should be. I like me some sunlight. But majority of the time, it was my schedule and your schedule. I mean, we're in buildings. Um, unless that stuff can really get through windows, we we're, we're all have some degree of vitamin D deficiency. Vitamin D that's ingested or produced in the skin still has to go through the same hydroxylation process. It starts in the liver, and that's 25 OHD, and then it gets further hydroxylated in the kidney to the physiologically active one 25 dihydroxy vitamin D. That's the active form that's essential to promote absorption of calcium from the gut and it enables normal bone mineralization and growth. But of course, we now know that vitamin D is more than just bone health. It's vital as a quote pro hormone end quote for a variety of conditions. During pregnancy, newborn vitamin D levels are largely dependent upon maternal vitamin D status. So if mom is deficient, baby's going to be deficient in utero. And of course, we know that some groups are more at risk of having vitamin D deficiency than others, like vegetarians. Well, there you go. That's what you get for eating healthy. Just kidding. Just kidding. But remember, so if your patients are vegans or vegetarians, they may not get sufficient vitamin D from food sources. And so that's one of the groups that you may consider targeted screening. Also, women with limited sun exposure, like those who live in colder climates or reside in northern latitudes, um, that could be a really big issue. Or in some cultures, I'm telling you, there's some women in my Hispanic culture, I mean, it's like, you know, it gets below 75 degrees and they've got a scarf, a hat on, a, 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 a thing over their head. I mean, they're perpetually covering themselves while great for skin health, bad for vitamin D levels. So these are the specific groups that are obvious at risk of vitamin D deficiency, right? Those who have altered diets, those who live in colder uh, climates or in the north, and those who persistently wear uh, 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 obscuring clothing outside. Now, here's the other group. So remember, we're talking about universal screening. We're going to do that in just a minute. And then this targeted approach. Then here's the, the bigger question. Are those who are at risk, traditionally considered at risk for preeclampsia, the same way we risk stratify those right now for aspirin, are those considered a targeted population who we would screen? Well, according to this new working group that published their findings ahead of print in April of this year and then formally in print just last month in September of 2023, 
And they're like, yeah, hey, if, if these patients, if you're going to give them aspirin in a targeted risk stratification model, you should pretty much check for vitamin D. Now, let me disclose, that's not SMFM or ACOG. That is an independent working group of leading experts across disciplines, although focused mainly on women's health and obstetricians, all right? So we included uh, part of that working group, and we'll tell you here in a minute, uh, dietitians, uh, uh, epidemiologists, uh, pathophysiology experts, and of course, those in women's health. It's, it's pretty neat, a very diverse working group who published these recommendations in the Gray Journal, that's the American Journal of OBGYN, just last month, again, September 2023. Now, but now that we're talking about screening, let's go back to 2011 and start this journey, all right? Boom, we've left our home. We're now on the road and we're starting this from the starting line of Committee Opinion 945. That was July 2011. Now, all to say, I just want, I just want to, just to, to put a little stamp on this, this is being reaffirmed by the OB obstetric care consensus, uh, like, as of now. Okay, so it's going to be coming out. Um, but I don't, we, even though a lot of things go into that, just know, yes, th- this is still standing. Now, the title of this is Screening and Supplementation During Pregnancy. Okay, now this is the, the glass that we mentioned in the intro that some see as half full or half empty. It's amazing because let me tell you how the two interpretations of this, and I'm just going to read it direct, and then you make your own conclusion, all right? So I've heard people say, ah, oh, vitamin D, we don't screen for that in pregnancy. I mean, ACOG says not to do it. Um, does it though? And then at the same time, the other group who's read the exact same bulletin says, oh, yeah, we should definitely do that, at least, uh, at least in, in high-risk patients. Now, how do you get two different views from one piece of paper? And the answer is because both views are in there. <laughs> it's in there. So let me read you the original committee opinion from 2011. That is, again, going to be reaffirmed. The last time it was reaffirmed was in 2021, two years ago. Okay, so don't don't get confused here because words matter. Words matter. So my wife tells me all the time when I tell her something she doesn't like, my words matter. I tell the kids that too. See, it all comes full circle. See, I do listen. I do listen when she corrects me. I do listen. All right, let's get back to this committee opinion. Oh, oh, wait, before I do that, my wife always asks, hey, you don't talk about me in the podcast, do you? No, honey, never, never. I never bring, never bring it up. I do sometimes. Remember once I said, that this, she has two master's degrees, all right? Master's of Healthcare Administration. Uh, she's a, a licensed clinical social worker, so she has a master's degree there. Uh, and, and I love it when she still sometimes says, yeah, I might could. I'm like, okay, can you go do X, Y, or Z for us? Yeah, I might could, might could. That's not good English. And I learned English as a second language. And you and I know that. All right, so I'm gonna stop talking about her. So the college says, quote, at this time, there is insufficient evidence to support a recommendation for screening all women for vitamin D deficiency, end quote. So let's stop right there. All right. See, there you go. It's very clear. Don't screen women for vitamin D. But that says all women. So for universal screening, ACOG says probably limited data there. Okay. But then it goes on to say, quote, for pregnant women thought to be at increased risk of vitamin D deficiency, maternal serum 25 OHD levels can be considered and should be interpreted in the context of the individual clinical circumstance, end quote. All right. See, so it does mention both. So just be very clear because we want to get this message right right at the start. 
Does ACOG recommend universal screening? No, the data doesn't seem to be there, although that is open for debate as well. And I'm going to tell you that in just a minute. But it does leave the door open for those at risk. But notice what it's at risk for. It doesn't say at risk for preeclampsia. doesn't say it's at risk for gestational diabetes, which others have called for. It says for vitamin D deficiency. Now, the way I read that is, well, damn. I mean, half the people in the U.S. likely have vitamin D deficiency because we're all inside on our computers. Uh, can I, I mean, right? I mean, the CDC says that, man, we all have some degree of vitamin D deficiency because none of us are taking walks outside, uh, you know, we, we, I, although we should. Uh, we're just getting otherwise as a generality. Uh, if you jog three or four times a week, God bless you. My wife goes to work out every day. I think she's a little abnormal in that, but hey, that's great. I, I don't do that. I I do it as I can, but we're just not as healthy as we can be. And part of that is is we are what we eat. Remember, we've talked about that before. I'm a big, big supporter of, of macro and micro nutrition, and this falls into that. This is a this is a vital micronutrient here. So ACOG does say for those that are at risk of vitamin D deficiency. Now, so let's stop there. That's what they're saying. Yes, you can target screen this for those for vitamin D deficiency, which pretty much in all my patient populations would be everybody. But in the September 2023 Gray Journal, they expand that to go, no, 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 wait a minute. Because vitamin D has been linked to some of these issues like hypertension in a bulk of the data, not in all of the data, and we're going to go over it, don't worry. There is evidence here that for those at risk of preeclampsia, check them because if you increase their vitamin D, there is possible evidence that you can help that. And that comes out from big systematic reviews like the Cochrane Review. Don't worry, we're going to walk all the way down our timeline like we usually do so you can make your own decision. But it all comes down to this. Here's the first clinical pearl, all right? Remember our old adage when we talked about this on a variety of things that if a medication is potentially helpful and not hurtful, then go ahead and do it. If any intervention could possibly help, if the evidence is there, although it's not all universal and complete, uh, every single study says the same thing. If the bulk of evidence pushes that pendulum towards, yeah, hey, I think there's something there and it's very low risk, why not do it? That's the whole question here. This really isn't a controversy or dilemma at all. Can giving vitamin D to a pregnant woman hurt? No, really can't. Can it potentially help? That's the answer, and it's yes. All right, so so it, I already beat it to the end, but now I want to lay this case down, all right? So to be clear, ACOG has just reaffirmed, although it has not come out yet, that universal screening for vitamin D deficiency, um, yeah, probably not legit, but in those that are high risk for vitamin D deficiency, according to the college, yes, look for that. And then I'm going to give you the new evidence that says even those that may be at risk for preeclampsia, if they risk stratify to get aspirin, you should pretty much consider vitamin D supplementation. Wow. See how things move? I mean, this wasn't there in 2011. So now that we've left this, let's leave here and let's walk down our next timeline to the next big piece of the puzzle. I love working with the ACOG. It's a great organization. You're talking about some passionate committed people. It's fantastic. And there is evidence that ACOG is absolutely right. That's why they did what they did in reaffirming this stance that there's no universal call for this. Okay. So remember, ACOG released that originally 2011, four years later, out of the 
Australian and New Zealand Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology in 2015, so four years later, comes a new review, and the title is Vitamin D Testing in Pregnancy. Does one size fit all? End quote. Well, of course, you can figure it out. Pretty much, no. I mean, nothing in medicine is one size fits all. Very few things are like that. So this is validation that ACOG in 2011, at least from a universal standpoint, says, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to do it for everybody, I mean, you're not sure what w- that's going to influence your results because some women may not need supplementation if they're already vitamin D replete. So uh, maybe it's better to risk stratify. So one size does not fit all. According to this review, the authors concluded, quote, vitamin D deficiency is common, but it may not be associated with some adverse pregnancy outcomes. Routine vitamin D testing of all pregnant women does not appear warranted, end quote. Now, now, now we're going to get into this in a minute because vitamin D deficiency is a loaded term, all right? Remember what they said. Vitamin D deficiency may not be associated with most adverse pregnancy outcomes. So there are a lot of things in there that, that, that are little grenades, right? I mean, you got to pull the plug and then boom, because there are a lot of things here. One, what do you mean by deficiency? Are we talking about mild deficiency? Are we talking about severe deficiency? Those are big words. So number one, that's why they put deficiency in quotes. Okay, so don't get confused. I'm going to tell you that, yes, there is evidence that vitamin D deficiency in pregnancy is not good. Okay, and I'm going to give you data that's pretty convincing that vitamin D deficiency in the mom, which leads to vitamin D deficiency in the child, is not good for neurodevelopment. Okay, but that's why these authors put the quotes in deficiency. That's why you just can't look at at their bottom line when you read an abstract. You got to go into the paper, look look at the weeds and see what, what the benefits are, what the pros, what the cons, what the limitations, because that's how you pull this out. All right. So this 2015 publication from our friends down under stated, quote, vitamin D deficiency, and that's in their own quotes, is common but may not be associated. There's another big note, may, maybe, maybe not, may or may not be associated with most adverse pregnancy outcomes. The short of it is they said routine vitamin D testing of all pregnant women does not appear warranted, end quote. So that seems to support ACOG's 2011. So again, just making the point, should we universally screen for vitamin D? Even though you consider that, well, if you're going to screen only for those who are at risk, a lot of people are at risk. That'd be a lot of people. That almost looks like universal. The wording is different. So universal call, no. Uh, targeted call, likely yes. All right. So this 2015 publication out of New Zealand just reinforced that there probably is not a universal benefit to screen. And as it relates to adverse outcomes, we're going to get into that in just a minute. Before we move on to the next piece of data, I think it's important for us to stop here for a minute and, and really talk about what, what levels do look like and how do we measure this, all right? So if you're going to be measuring vitamin D in, in anybody, you got to know what to order, okay? Because I know this has been part of a fusion even with our, with our residents uh, in clinic. The test that most people get, that the screening is, is 25 OHD, that's what we should be looking for in ordering, okay? And even though people have different recommendations of what is allowable for supplementation, we're talking about the, the appropriate serum level to have normal function, all right? Now, most agree that to maintain overall health, the serum level has to be at least 20 nanograms per ml, okay? NGs per ml. So let's stop there because some studies say uh, or, or give the results in nanomoles per liter. 
That's not usually how clinicians do it. That's more of a bench test, all right? So if you ever asked, what do I measure for vitamin D? It's 25 OHD, and you're looking for the result, which is in nanograms per ml, NG per ml, all right? So vitamin D, nanograms per ml, and it's at least 20 for overall kind of bone health and basic function. However, in pregnancy, uh, most people consider a level to be replete at or above 40, right? At or above 40. So we get into these things of, well, is it, you know, is 30 too low? In some studies, it's too low. And so that's one of the issues of, that's why those authors of New Zealand and Australia put it in deficiency because it's kind of a moving target. We know what the floor is. The absolute lowest seems to be 20 nanograms per ml. The preferable is 40 nanograms per ml. Uh, and that's serum levels. The amount that's available for supplementation uh, is a little different. Now, we know that you can take a whopping dose of vitamin D daily and still be okay. It doesn't seem to be hurtful, right? Because some recent controversial trials around COVID, uh, some studies show, oh my gosh, if you're admitted, give them vitamin D because it helps their immune response. They tend to be less sick. Other studies say that did nothing. It's not true. So it's very controversial, all right? That's a very touchy subject. And I'm not going to get into that because we're not talking about COVID and vitamin D. But all to say, that is a big, controversial, conflicting issue. Uh, but we know it doesn't hurt, right? That any of those patients that get like, 10,000 units of, of vitamin D during COVID, did it hurt them? No. Did it possibly help them? Maybe. Okay. But that's on the COVID side. My point is there, there really doesn't seem to be a maximum vitamin D. I'm, I guess everything has a maximum. But in, in even in double dosages amounts, and I'm going to give you what's recommended here in a minute, seems to be safe. All right. So how do you screen for vitamin D? Whether pregnant or not, you get a blood test. You look for the nanograms per ml. And it needs to be at least 20 for basic function with the goal being around 40 or so. All right. So that's that. All right, everyone, let's not forget where we are here as we walk down our history timeline. We started in 2011. We went to 2015. And now this brings us to a publication in 2018. So three years after that last one we just covered in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. I mean, let's just stop right there. What a boring name for a journal, right? If you're a nutritionist, I'm sure this is your jam. I mean, I'm sure like, oh, that's a great journal. It just sounds boring. The Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. But it's a good journal and it does have stuff applicable to all areas of medicine because nutrition is in everything, right? Well, in this 2018 publication in that incredibly interesting journal, the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, there's a stratified RCT, and the title is Effectiveness of Prenatal Vitamin D Deficiency Screening and Treatment. Again, stratified randomized field trial. Now, this was not done in the U.S., but what they looked at is that they took patients with moderate and severe vitamin D deficiency, and they defined that, right? Moderate was a level between 10 and 20 nanograms per ml, whereas severe was less than 10 nanograms per ml. I mean, that's that's pretty darn low. Remember, that's what we talked about here. You're looking at nanograms per ml as the way to, to measure vitamin D levels, right? So moderate is between 10 to 20. Remember, we said the basic floor seems to be 20. And then severe is, man, less than 10. And then they, they looked at receiving vitamin D3 supplementation until delivery. 
Well, let's just get to the punch here. Quote, after supplementation, only 2% of the women in the non-screened group met the sufficiency level of greater than 20 nanograms per ml. Well, that makes sense because they didn't get supplemented. Although 53% of the women in the screened group and who got treatment were found to be vitamin poor. So obviously, if you give them vitamin D supplementation, they get better, right? So that's good news. But here's the catch here. Quote, adverse pregnancy outcomes, including preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, and preterm delivery were decreased by 60%. That's for preeclampsia, 50% for GDM, and 40% for preterm delivery. End quote. Man, that should get somebody's attention. Now, it's one study. I get that. It was two sites outside of the U.S. Um, But now that we have nothing for preterm birth, uh, should we be looking at this? And they're not the only ones. Because I'm going to hit you with a Cochrane review that came out very recently. And we're going to cover that in just a minute. Because that Cochrane review, was when I read that, I was like, yeah, this this is good news. This is something here that we can uh, really at least consider from 2022, just last year, as it regards preterm birth, all right? So as we walk down our timeline, we have 2011, 2015, 2018. They're like, hey, if those who are severely deficient in vitamin D defined as less than 10 nanograms per ml, uh, yeah, they're at risk for issues. And even those that are at moderate deficiency defined as 10 to 20 uh, can also benefit from supplementation. I think this is a good place for us to take a little breather and just kind of regroup and go, why, why are we covering this again? Um, because, I mean, it's vitamin D. Is that is that a big deal? Um, yeah, it really is. Especially as I've just said, look, guys, we, we're running out of options here for preterm birth. Remember, March of Dimes gave us like a D not long ago on, on a national grade. We're like, man, the U.S., uh, with all the resources and opportunities that we have here, and, and I, I'm thankful for it. I absolutely love where I live. Um, but wow, I got like a D, actually, like a D plus. It's terrible. So anything that can help, we should take a look at this. Plus, there's just evidence that vitamin D deficiency, even at in high risk, in at risk adults could help. But it gets so confusing because of that that word universal screen. Even the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force in April 2021, actually it was April 13th, 2021, gave the recommendation for universal screening, right? Again, for everybody get a screen for this, um, in quote, asymptomatic adults, end quote. And that's my question is, well, whoever goes, man, I, man, I feel really, you know what, I feel like my vitamin D level is just low. What is a symptomatic adult for vitamin D level? <laughs> what, like a fracture? I mean, I don't get that. But that's the, the USPSTF said that there was insufficient evidence for universal screening in asymptomatic adults for vitamin D deficiency. Um, I, I have yet to wake up one morning and go, man, I, I really feel, man, you know, my mouth feels kind of dry. I think my vitamin D level is down. No, it doesn't. That's not it. So that's kind of weird. Um, shouldn't you just say in adults? Why would you say asymptomatic adults? That implies that there's some kind of symptom of vitamin D deficiency. See how weird stuff gets? If you And that's why, guys, I'm telling you, super thankful. We just I just came out of the OB obstetric care consensus meeting. Words matter. I mean, when we talked about for close to an hour with, with the, the wording of something, should it say may consider or should consider the word may and should are different. How many times have I said that, guys, in this podcast, in a variety of episodes? Words matter. Words, when it says something, may consider, could consider, or if you're my wife, you add both of them, you, you may could, you may could consider. Don't, don't do that. 
Words matter. But the point is, yeah, much how, how confusing all this is. We're here to kind of cut through all the noise, kind of pull out the data and go, can this help? Is this harmful? That's what it comes down to. Forget general population. I'm talking about in pregnancy. But in the general adult population, the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force, as of April 13th, 2021, said, quote, The U.S. Preventive Service Task Force concludes that the current evidence is insufficient to assess the balance of benefits and harms of screening for vitamin D deficiency in asymptomatic adults. End quote. Has nothing to do with pregnancy. So just to be clear, please don't send me a message. The U.S. Preventive Service Task Force says it's a grade I inconclusive. That's for adults. That includes dudes. All right. Adults. So and adults is anywhere from 21 to 80. I mean, let's see how huge that is. That's why you've got to bring this down, get rid of the noise and say, I'm talking about pregnancy. I'm talking about some specific issues like hypertension. What does the data look like? And I'm thankful that just last month, this expert working group, independent of ACOG and SMFM, said, hey, man, you got to take a look at this thing. And because the short answer is in CHOPPA synopsis, this can possibly help and it cannot hurt. Um, so Mike just said that whenever I said, can it hurt, uh, and possibly help, he said, that reminds me of like, hurt so good. What does that even mean? He said he was going to do not put hurt so good over my words. <laughs> if they do, I apologize. And no, I don't have rights to that song either. I know they're going to do it nonetheless. All right, let's get back to, to the rest of the data here in just a moment. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Oh, my goodness. I, this, I love my production team, but sometimes they drive me nuts. They are so committed to this, and they're kind of nuts at the same time. All right. So where were we? Oh, we talked about U.S. Preventive Service Task Force 2021, that in the adult population, general screening is XNAID, probably not beneficial. Uh, so now let's leave that uh, and get to back to pregnancy, but staying with 2021 uh, at an interesting, uh, to say the least, um, presentation that was done at SMFM just two years ago. All right. Now we're going to cover two presentations that were done at SMFM. This is the first one from 2021. 
that specifically looked at vitamin D deficiency in pregnancy. So I'm like, all right, I remember when this came out, I'm like, woo, this is my deal. Because I'm a big, as I mentioned, just mentioned a little while ago, I'm a big supporter of micronutrients. Uh, Where is this going to take us? Well, unfortunately, it didn't take us where I thought it was going to take us. This was a prospective study that found that even though vitamin D prophylaxis failed to prevent hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, hey, at least it did increase maternal and cord blood levels of vitamin D. So again, it, it's the glass of data, either half full or half empty. So let me explain here because the, the idea was to try to prevent hypertensive disorders in pregnancy since, as I mentioned in the intro, that data is there. It helps with vessel compliance or some data that appropriate vitamin D supplementation before pregnancy, guys, like folic acid, can help with uh, implantation and angiogenesis, okay? So like everything else, highlights the need for pre conception care. So if patients get pregnant, they come to you for the first time at 25 weeks, like they do for <laughs> in my patient population, hey, I'm pregnant, time for me to get some care. Thank God you got here later, better late than never. But man, you, you miss all the good stuff. Um, the, the idea is you got to prepare your body. So ideally, this is done pre pregnancy, and then continued on throughout the pregnancy. So where was I going with that? Oh, 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 yeah. So hypertensive disorders. So the goal was to look at hypertensive disorders, did that actually decrease in those that were vitamin D poor? And the answer was no. But hold on, wait a minute, there's others that say yes. So this is just one, this is just one site, one prospective study. But as we're going to find out in a minute, there is some strong opinions here that, man, we got to give the mom's vitamin D because it passes to the kid. Uh, the kid can't get out into the sunlight, right? It's not like, like sun rays go through the abdomen, through the uterus and amniotic fluid to get to the kid. So it's highly dependent on maternal vitamin D stores and severe vitamin D deficiency can affect neurodevelopment, okay? So the not so good news from this uh, SMFM publication and presentation in, uh, in 2021 was that it didn't really do anything for high blood pressure, although other studies say yes. But it did seem to help uh, the baby's levels of vitamin D, which in itself is a win. So I view this as, man, I would like both to have been there, but but at least we get better vitamin D stores to the child. I, I'm okay with that, all right? So here's what the authors found. Quote, at baseline, the incidence of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy was 10.5%, but vitamin D prophylaxis at 3,000 IUs did not decrease the frequency of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy compared to women who did not receive prophylaxis. It happened at 13.1% versus 7.7%, and that p-value was 0.1. So let me stop there for a minute, because you see that those percentages to me mean something, all right? So it went from 13% down to almost half, 7%. To me, I'm like, that's a win, but this is where statistics kind of jacks things up, right? So again, uh, it, you can have a result that shows clinical significance, which which it did not in this paper, but is that really clinically meaningful? And this is the reverse here. This seems to be clinically meaningful. I mean, it dropped the percentage at 13.1 down to 7.7. To me, that's good. But it was not statistically significant because the p-value was not less than 0.05. Do you get what I'm saying? So this is where statistics are great, um, very statistics friendly, but sometimes they jack stuff up. So let's just recap. Wow, you read something, it's statistically significant. Great. Is it clinically significant? Though Both of those have to be yes. In this case, 
Uh, we It looks like it's clinically significant at 13.1 without supplementation down to 7.7 for hypertension in pregnancy, but the p-value was 0.10. It is what it is. I'm going to leave it there, all right? But again, it did find that vitamin D supplementation increased levels to the child. This was by um, Persaud, uh, who helped lead this study, again, out of New York. But she goes on to say, quote, vitamin D supplementation. Here it is, guys. Here's my clinical pearl. This is what I've been saying all along, is a relatively benign, safe, and cost-effective intervention. End quote. And again, can it help? Yeah. Can it hurt? Possibly no. It doesn't look like it does. And I love that uh, Persaud throws in the Cochrane Review from 2016. Now, I'm going to give you a Cochrane Review from 2022. But remember, in in between that 2016 Cochrane Review and this last one from 2022 is Persaud's study right here in 2021. Everybody good? So she recognized that Cochrane said, quote, according to Cochrane's meta-analysis results of vitamin D in pregnancy, the review demonstrated trends towards a lower incidence of preeclampsia in the supplemented pregnant patient group, end quote. All right, so she's recognizing here, hey, we didn't find it really helps with hypertension, but Cochrane in 2016, five years before this study, seemed that, yeah, there seems to be a trend towards it. So guys, uh, if you can't get what I'm trying to, to write in between the lines is I'm all for it, right? I, now I'm all evidence-based. Uh, I need, I would love level A, uh, you know, grade A recommendation, level one. And I'm going to give you some because some are coming up, but it's not uniform across professional societies. That uh, good, solid uh, evidence uh, is just not there. It's good evidence, but it's not good and solid evidence. It means reproducible, okay? So you see the conflict here. You've got Stony Brook saying didn't really help for, for high blood pressure issues in pregnancy, maybe helps with the kids' levels, but she recognizes that that's completely uh, against the meta-analysis that showed a trend towards improved hypertensive disorders that came out um, about five years before this study was done. So if you're confused... Don't be, because I'm going to get, I'm going to make it a lot stronger case here. Like we're in a court, bam, bam, bam. Right, that's the gavel. Uh, I'm going to give you the. I'm going to. I'm going to go right before you get to the verdict. I'm going to give you the strongest evidence that I have not shown yet. Ooh, I just liked that analogy. Like we're in court. I'm going to give you the evidence coming up so that we can get to the vitamin D truth. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. All right, we are back since we covered the Cochrane Review. Uh, Since we just talked about that, let's get to the last Cochrane Review that covered this, specifically talking about vitamin D supplementation in pregnancy. This came out in 2019. Before that, it was in 2016. And the Royal College of OBGYN incorporated this into their updated guidance, okay? So we're talking about the Cochrane Review from 2019 that the Royal College mentioned and quoted uh, in 2022. Now, this is why I liked Cochrane, remember, because you can take a look. You can find some study that says X, Y, or Z. You can do it. It's out there. I guarantee it. But that's why Cochrane and systematic reviews, meta-analyses, as I've said many times, they group them together, they, they vet them, they, they, they look at the analysis again, and then through a new analysis, they, they kick out their new data, okay? So, so remember when, when this came out, um, what did I say? This was 2019 uh, and quoted by the Royal College of OBGYN. Again, not U.S., that's U.K., last year, January 2022. Here's her main points, quote, 
pregnant women may require higher doses of some vitamins, including vitamin D, from conception uh, and early pregnancy onward. The Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, now this is also including, this is the RCOG quoting Cochrane, all right? The RCOG recommends supplementing all pregnant women with vitamin D and high-risk women with high-dose vitamin D. All right, so let's let's just put this again in perspective. Not U.S., not ACOG, not SMFM. This is the Royal College 2022 taking the data from Cochrane in 2019 and, and making a pretty powerful statement here. Why? Because little chance of harm, potential benefit is there. They go on to say, quote, the evidence shows that vitamin D supplementation probably reduces common risks associated with pregnancy, including, you already preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, and may reduce the risk of having a low birth weight baby, end quote. So just to be clear, again, this reference that I'm giving is from the Royal College of OBGYN that's taking the Cochrane data uh, that originally came out um, Remember, we said 2016 and then reaffirmed in 2019. And now as the Royal College sees it as of January 2022, yeah, there, there seems to be some evidence that uh, it's not universal. It's not every single piece of data. But if we get back down to, to that uh, dogma of can it help and can it hurt, this seems to apply for this condition. And again, the data seems to suggest quote, probably reduces the risk of preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, and of having low birth weight, end quote. Uh, didn't really seem to make that much of a difference for preterm birth. Um, some studies say yes, some say no. But according to the Cochrane Review, again, the original Cochrane Review, the last one that was done was 2019. This is just a reaffirmation of that. But the original, the last Cochrane Review, the official uh, redo of the study was 2019. Man, we got to keep moving because I don't want this to get too long uh, and I don't want to belabor the point. But remember I said that we we're going to present two presentations out of SMFM. The first one we already covered. Uh, the second one uh, was officially published January of this year, guys. So January 2023. OK, and the title is Maternal Vitamin D Deficiency During Pregnancy and Perinatal and Long-Term Outcomes, end quote. Uh, the first listed author is Lee, L-E-E, -E, okay? Now, th this is this is a little worrisome because anytime you're talking about neurological outcomes, it gets people's attention, and it should. Now, th there is something that I'm, I'm a little confused about in this, but, uh, but let me explain. So first of all, this was a prospective study. Uh, it took place from 2017 to 2021. How about that? That's persistency. And it followed 509 singleton pregnant women with no real issues, all right? And, and it followed their maternal serum vitamin D levels. And yes, again, they looked at nanograms per ml. That's the take-home, nanograms per ml. And then followed their levels throughout pregnancy. All right, well, here's what, what they wanted to see. Did this affect not just obstetric perinatal uh, issues, but neurodevelopmental outcomes. The neurodevelopmental outcomes was done using the Bailey 3 test and the gross motor function measures, the GMFM. Okay, now hold on to that for just a second. The short of it is there was no real differences in maternal age, body mass index, and parity, previous preterm birth between those that were found deficient and normal. Fine. Compared with the normal group, those who had normal vitamin D levels, there were no difference in the rate of gestational hypertension, gestational diabetes, or preterm birth. So let's stop there. See how it's controversial? In this study, hey, you're deficient, didn't seem to make a difference, there's no real 
perinatal issue as far as they can tell. Okay, fine. But hold on, hold on, guys. Here's the big take home. Well, oddly enough, those that were vitamin D deficient, the babies had a higher risk of neonatal respiratory distress. You're like, "Ah, all right, you can bag them a little bit. Does that really have a big deal? Well, they had a higher rate of sepsis. That's interesting, probably because of immunomodulation. But here's the other one. In this very deficient group, the risk of developmental delay was higher. That p-value was 0.03 with a confidence interval of 1.02 to 6.02, given an adjusted odds ratio of 1.88, almost 2. Okay, so let's just say it really quickly. According to this publication, which was, it was a presentation at SMFM January of this year, all right, you're super deficient. I don't see the thing of, of high blood pressure. I don't see the diabetes thing. I get what people are saying. I just don't see that. But here's what's, what's concerning. Maybe a higher rate of neurodevelopmental delay. Now, I told you I had one concern about this publication is that nowhere that I can see here. Now, I wasn't at this uh, presentation in person, so I, I would have asked this. I don't have the answer to this. But nowhere in the, in the written work and what was published in the AJOG supplement well, when did you do the neurodevelopmental delay? I mean, don't you want to know that? Was this at, at three months? Was it six months? Was it a year? That's kind of weird. I mean, this, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Um, it's not here. The, we, I don't see when that neurodevelopmental delay uh, was assessed. Uh, it's not there. So that's one of the issues. I would have written back and go, can you tell me when this delay was? Nonetheless, the conclusion was, this is the first study to analyze the effects of maternal vitamin D deficiency during pregnancy on long-term neurodevelopmental outcomes, as well as perinatal prognosis. Vitamin D deficiency in early pregnancy may increase the risk of neonatal respiratory distress, sepsis, and developmental delay, end quote. Oh, man, I didn't know how long this thing is going. Sorry, let, let me just get to it because there's I still got stuff I, I got to drive home. Look, this whole issue on 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 nutritional vitamin D deficiency and neurodevelopment is not novel, okay? Let me just give you this reference as we as we stop beating this into the ground because it, there is evidence there, all right? If you go back to a publication in the journal Nature uh, by Bruce Hollis and Carol Wagner back in 2017, they posted an article, New Insights into the Vitamin D Requirements During Pregnancy, uh, very eye-opening because in this, they actually do make this this pretty strong statements that, guys, we got to get this right because the potential, the, the association, hard to prove causation, but that the uh, association between neurodevelopmental delays in moms that are vitamin D deficient cannot be ignored. Uh, it, it's, it's very, very clearly stated. So let me read you what they, what they stated here. They state, quote, an even scarier prospect exists around vitamin D deficiency during pregnancy and neurological disease and altered neurodevelopment. Strong experimental animal evidence points to dire neurological consequences. Guys, those are not my words. Dire. Ugh. If vitamin D is restricted during pregnancy, if one wants to read the biochemical basis for this, we suggest that you read recent reviews by Patrick and Ames. They make an excellent case for intrauterine vitamin D deficiency as it relates to, here it is, guys, autism, attention deficit disorder, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and impulse behavior all through the control of serotonin synthesis in the neonatal brain. They go on to say... There is also a fair amount of observational data available to support these claims. If that is not convincing, 
then you have to read a recent prospective. This is still what they're saying. I'm just reading it direct. It says you have to read this recent prospective interventional vitamin D trial during pregnancy for the prevention of autism in the newborn. From this data, the author suggests that even performing an RCT would be unethical. Did y'all get that? Would be unethical because the value is there. That study that they are talking about came out of the journal Medical Hypothesis in 2016. The lead author is Stubbs, and the title is, Will Vitamin D Supplementation During Pregnancy and Early Childhood Reduce the Recurrence Rate of Autism in Newborn Siblings? End quote. Here is the last piece of evidence, all right? So we're going to leave this one with the last solid piece. Um, This came out um, initially ahead of print in April 2023, but it's officially out uh, just last month in September of 2023. So just last month in the Gray Journal. Oops, I lost my little place here. Hold on, guys. Where did it go? There it is. So the title is Care Plan for Individuals at Risk for Preeclampsia. Shared Approach to Education, Strategies for Prevention, Surveillance, and Follow-Up, okay? So again, as I mentioned before, this is not ACOG-RES-MFM. As the authors self-explain in the draft, this was an independent expert working group that was made up of very diverse people. And this is not to replace aspirin, okay? This is to supplement that aspirin protocol, right? So it says, hey, we're not getting away with aspirin. Risk stratify, if that's your thing, because uh, it doesn't get into universal. This is just we're following that same risk stratification that if somebody's benefits on uh, benefits for low-dose aspirin based on their risk, one high-risk factor, two moderate, then at least consider vitamin D also as an additional supplement. That's what they said, all right? But let me just tell you who this expert group is. According to their self-description, quote, we assembled a group of clinicians, investigators, advocates, public and private stakeholders with diverse relevant expertise. Again, clinicians, investigators, advocates, and public and private stakeholders to develop a care plan in which provider and pregnant patients at risk, see guys, there it is, at risk, can work together to reduce the risk of preeclampsia and associated morbidities. This plan, they go on to say, is for care for individuals at moderate to high risk for preeclampsia. So that is the same. We're talking about the same patient population for those that uh, uh, that are labeled at risk for uh, for preeclampsia or gestational hypertension. So again, not to replace aspirin, but in addition to. For sake of time, let me just get to the vitamin D part uh, as we wrap this up. Quote. The use of nutritional supplements, specifically vitamin D and calcium, have been evaluated for their effect on preeclampsia. Vitamin D supplementation alone was associated with a reduced risk ratio of preeclampsia, that's the relative risk of 0.48, with a confidence interval of 0.3 to 0.79 in four small RCTs, but they were RCTs. The dosages were 600 IUs, and it appears to provide the same effect as higher dosages, all right? Now, even though some have said, oh, you can use up to 1,000, really, if you use 600 IUs, it seems to be there for preeclampsia. Now, even though we're talking about vitamin D, just to throw in its, its, its counterpart, its partner here, there's also data that calcium supplementation anywhere from 500 milligrams per day to 1,000 milligrams a day can also reduce the rate of, of high blood pressure 
uh, disease in pregnancy, okay? And if you're worried about giving pregnant women calcium in pregnancy because they're going to get stones, uh, yeah, I get that. As long as they stay hydrated, that risk is probably small. They address that in this monograph as well. They state, quote, um, according to published evidence, uh, it seems that taking this amount of vitamin D and calcium for this brief amount of time and at these levels should not increase the risk of nephrolithiasis, end quote. All right, so let's get down to the final recommendation here regarding vitamin D in this independent expert working group. This is our last clinical pearl as it relates to this uh, September 2023 publication. Here is their qualified recommendation. Although they do give the disclosure, it is kind of low quality evidence. But remember, here's what we're talking about. Can it help and can it hurt? Seems that it can help and can't hurt. So the working group suggests, quote, supplementation with a daily dose of vitamin D anywhere from 600 up to 2,000 IUs that includes the amount of vitamin D in a prenatal vitamin if the individual is taking one that also includes vitamin D, end quote. That's why there's that spread, all right? So if they're just taking iron, hopefully every other day, not daily, then you can increase the amount of vitamin D up to 2,000 IUs. If they're taking a prenatal that includes some vitamin D, then you can give them 600. Does that make sense? So if you ever asked, should we supplement vitamin D in pregnancy? Well, it depends who you ask and what you're looking for. If you're talking about increasing the cord levels and amount going to the child, absolutely. If you're talking about a prevention potentially of neurodevelopmental issues, absolutely. If you're talking about prevention of hypertension and gestational diabetes, well, it depends who you ask and look at the data. But again, if you come down to the basic rule, I think this can help across a variety of maternal and fetal outcomes, and it cannot hurt, then 600 to 2,000 international units per day seems to do the trick. Podcast family, I hope you found that interesting. I I really did. I mean, I've been following this thing for a while now. We actually were going to talk about this. This was on our list, I don't know, uh, maybe two months ago. And I got this is hold off. I got distracted, did something else. But I just find this interesting. I mean, look how much we've learned. When I trained at Parkland, it was everybody got Urcon, Urcon, uh, and it was like three times a day, uh, just pure ferrous fumarate. Uh, well, now we know. Wow, taking it every day is bad. Taking it three times a day is worse. <laughs> oh, hey, we didn't know. I mean, we didn't have the data. That's why we're doing this because the evidence what moves fast. Medicine moves fast, and there's a lot of noise here for vitamin D. Should we screen for all adults? Probably not. Should we screen for those at high risk? Yes. Well, what does high, high what does high risk even mean? Well, it means those at high risk of vitamin D deficiency. Well, what about high risk of preeclampsia? Yeah, there's a working group that says yes to that too. So we're here to shut off all. All the noise to, to take a look at all the little floating pieces of paper, grab them, and then make one collage that hopefully can help us. And this collage, once we take all the little varying pieces of paper, is could possibly help and definitely can't hurt. All right, podcast family, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. <laughs>